edition of the Four Star Sports Show. I am with John Sturdivant. It's up there with the fancy new wireless headphones on. And today's first special guest of the day, John, go ahead and introduce him. Uh, we have a guy that works for uh, AAC Daily, and I uh, just found out the other day he might be covering a lot more college ball in general and uh, all over the NCAA football action. Uh, Austin Cops doing this. Austin, appreciate you joining us on this uh, Sunday, and uh, thank you for your time. Hey, guys, uh, my pleasure, and uh, Happy New Year to you both. Thank you very Thank much, you, man. man. Thank you very much. So, Austin, quick first question for you, Austin. Um, what is it like to cover the American? Um, of course, John and I are big Memphis Tiger fans, but uh, in my opinion, I think the American uh, is a very strong conference, not just bass, not just football, uh, but all, all around. Uh, what's it like to cover the American Athletic Conference? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's just like, really, I'd say it's a lot like covering any of the other power conferences. It's uh, it's nothing like co covering uh, Conference USA, which I, I was lucky enough to do for one season when I was younger, or covering, a, you know, a Sun Belt or something. Uh, the American carries itself like a power conference, and by that I mean when you show up the games, uh, the materials are there in the press boxes, which sounds, you know, sounds kind of simple, uh, but it, it's a lot, I would say the American is a lot more like power conferences uh, than it gets credit for. And I've been lucky to cover it day in and day out and, you know, get to know these great athletic departments that really don't get enough coverage on the national stage. Really great. Go ahead, John. Uh, Austin, you know, <clears throat> You just cover have covered football. You covered a little bit of basketball as well, don't you? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been lucky to cover uh, basketball for the American. I haven't uh, really dug into things this season because of, you know, the way this season's gone just across every sport, but we've seen it get uh, really bad here in basketball with that stop and go, stall, and try and restart situation. So I haven't got to follow the sport as much this season as I have in the past when I was doing it regularly for the uh, AAC daily, but of course I've been able to see the, uh, the, the tight races as always with uh, all the teams around the league. You got Houston sitting there, a top five team. Of course they took that loss to Tulsa. Uh, this is one of those leagues that hey, you can, you know, maybe skip a couple days, miss a couple games, no matter what, it's always going to be a tight race up there at the top. Okay. The reason Most I was definitely. asking, like, I'm going to start with, yeah, the reason I was asking, I was going to start with football on you. Uh, who have, who was your pretty much surprise team and kind of like your little bit of a disappointment that you kind of thought that was a little bit better this year going in into the American? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, my biggest surprise was uh, Tulsa. And I, I know a lot of people will say that they were on the radar. The Golden Hurricane uh, sh should have been getting good, a lot more respect, I should say, because uh, got a great run game. They had Zach Smith there at quarterback, uh, transfer from Baylor. And uh, for lack of a better term, Philip Montgomery was due in a lot of people's minds because he's been putting a lot of work in there for four or five years. And a lot of people haven't seen that kind of success that they were expecting from him. So some people were expecting it. I wasn't. I, I think they were a big surprise to me, starting with that, uh, you know, UCF win. Uh, they did it last year. They did it again this year. And uh, then we saw one upset after another. I think they were also my biggest disappointment, though. Uh, their bowl game against Mississippi State was a bit of a heartbreaker, really. Yeah, that, uh, that Tulsa-Mississippi State game was a great game. Uh, but then the way that that game ended was – just uh, it, like John, like like we talked about last night on our show, Austin, um, or Aaron, I'm sorry, was just an absolute uh, absolute black eye of college college football. Awesome. Um, yeah, it was. It really on was. both teams. Yeah, and especially for both teams, we saw it. And you guys, I think, have a uh, the fan base there in Memphis has a much better idea of it because you guys experienced it firsthand with BYU, and oh, yeah. I, you know BYU fans won't admit it, but. You know, if you watched how that game ended, of course, it's about that Miami Beach Bowl. 
if you look at how that ended, you know who started it. It was not the Memphis Tigers, but right. you know, you see both of those fan bases that they walked away with different views of how it started and how it ended. When you look at the Tulsa Mississippi State game, you know, it was a very similar situation. No excuse for it. And I, I feel bad for Tulsa because I feel like they're getting some credit uh, for a fight that I really don't believe was their fault. I think that the uh, Mississippi State Bulldogs were a little bit chippier, but of course, I might have a little yeah. bit of bias. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, that that entire game from pregame uh, leading up to uh, the, that debacle at the end of the game, uh, and we talked about it yesterday. Let me get your opinion on this. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit mentioned on game day that officials uh, who are now on the field, I believe it's 60 minutes before kickoff, uh, he he has proposed yeah, expanding well, yeah, that out was, to 90 minutes. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, it's now 90 minutes. Right. Uh, what is your stand on when the officials should be on the field uh, pregame? And, and um, what is your stand on how we can make sure this doesn't happen in, in the future? Well, I think what you got to do is you got to take your officiating crews and, and split them into essentially they're already broken down into into teams on their own, but you got to assign those guys. I think uh, pre and post game, which it gets trickier because these are you know guys that are trying to make sure that they're ready for the game themselves. They got a hard job ahead of them, but I do believe that you have to have at least some members of your crew out there at all times, anytime that there's. Uh, players from either team out there on the field. I think you got to have a crew out there just to see what might be transpiring before a game because we've seen it. You know, things can impact that game that happen out there on the field, things that are said. I do believe there should be somebody from the officiating crew out there whenever there's players in advance of the game. You know, I brought the, the biggest surprise and biggest disappointment up, but I was kind of you know, surprised how UCF kind of not say not given. I mean, I mean, I'm just I'm I'm kind of surprised Jeff Heifel. You know, the way that he kind of didn't really change things up on really offense at all this year. I know yeah. Dylan Gabriel did his thing on offense, but it looked like I was watching the same stuff when I watched them up close and personal when they played Memphis, doing the same stuff over and over and over again. Awesome. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people got that vibe, and I think it really it really showed through by the results. You're looking at a, you know, a 6-4 and four team, 6-3 and three team in the regular season uh, playing in the American Athletic Conference. You know, I, I think a lot of people looked at them early on and thought, you know, they're not really bringing anything new to the table, which – I think was might be the most surprising thing really when you look at UCF because Josh Heifel was brought in because of what he was able to do with the Missouri Tigers offense, which prior to his arrival there in Columbia, Missouri was just a, a very bad SEC. Abysmal. It was terrible. <laughs> it yeah. was. And, you know, you got to give Heifel credit for that, but you looked at that and thought, well, this guy, based on what he did at Oklahoma, of course he was brought on there because of his time playing for Bob Stoops, but what he did at Oklahoma briefly, what he did at Missouri, people expected a transformation to, to see something different, not necessarily, you know, groundbreaking, but something different. And they really didn't bring anything different this year, and it showed through. Yeah, it, it, it really did. Uh, and, I mean, I've talked about it numerous times on this show. i I'm just not a big Josh Heupel fan. Uh, I just don't feel like he makes the proper adjustments uh, in game to be a high-paid, high-caliber coach. Uh, that's just my opinion. I could be completely wrong on that. Um, when you look at the American Athletic Conference this season, of course, the big team is Cincinnati. Uh, they ran the table. They won the conference in football. Uh, they were very, very deserving. Uh, to go to the to the uh, New Year's Six Bowl, and I think based on how they played against Georgia, um, do you see a team like Cincinnati, a team like a Memphis, possibly making a jump to the Power Five Conference, or do you think that's uh, just something that we dream of that will never happen? I mean, it, it's very possible. Um, 
you know, we saw just in 2016, which of course I think was the time when uh, people in Memphis might've first heard my name ever was during the big 12 expansion then. And, you know, looking at that, you know, the teams or excuse me, the conferences, they're going to be hungry. They're going to have slots to fill, to fill. And the big 12, you know, if this trend continues and the trend I'm talking about is the separation of autonomy conferences and non-autonomy, if that separation continues, the Big 12 is not going to want to sit there with 10 teams. And it's not going to poach the Pac-12, uh, which you'll hear from some people. Or, I, I want to say people around the Big 12. You only hear it from fans around the Big 12. The Big 12 can't poach the Pac-12. It's, it's really an untouchable conference because of its positioning, because of its history with the Big 10 and the Rose Bowl. It's not going to touch the ACC because of its grant of rights. To even suggest the SEC is laughable, the Big Ten, same situation. So when the Big 12 does expand, it's going to be looking at the American Athletic Conference. It's not going to be looking at the Mountain West Conference because, as we've seen there, those teams, their value is plummeting. Each and every season since 2014, the value of the Mountain West Conference, its TV contracts, teams, its ratings have fallen. And that's because they're not producing an NY6 program. They're not getting that exposure and people aren't watching. So the Big 12 is not going to look over there. They're not going to take Air Force. Uh, BYU doesn't play on Sundays. When it happens, it will be an AAC school. And I, I say it will be a school. It will be multiple. Yeah. You were talking about the Mountain West a second ago, but, you know, there's talks now that Boise State could be joining the American as soon as maybe this year coming up. Do you know anything on what's the latest on that, maybe, or any teams other than Boise, maybe leaving the Mountain West? Because I've been listening to, like, some reports out there saying maybe, like, Air Force might leave the Mountain West to join the American. I've seen San Diego State mentioned. But the route, I mean, it is probably just for, like, football only, correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely football only. And I'll, I'll give you a mixture of – uh, what Michael Resgo has told me every time I talk to him, which is always the same, uh, you know, almost written out response of the league's not going to comment on this stuff. They're not going to talk about uh, who's possibly interested or not. They're not going to talk about expansion directly. Now, thankfully, uh, even Mike hasn't been able to duck it too much with Boise State because of all the leaks coming out because of the emails. And we know that uh, from the head coaches to the athletic directors to the school president, Boise State wants into the AAC. And it's gotten to a point where the American feels comfortable enough that it doesn't even have to rush. It's saying, well, you know, we'll, we'll sit back and wait. We'll play by ear. We'll only take you for football because, you know, you're not going to have ECU flying out to Boise State for a baseball. Well, not I guess Boise State doesn't even have baseball anymore. But you're not going to logistically – it wouldn't make sense to send any of these schools to send an SMU or a Tulsa, a school with a smaller budget out there. So it's gotta be football only. And I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that multiple schools, including San Diego state, including air force have talked to the American. Awesome. I, you know, I mean, and, and like I said, as a Memphis fan, I would love to go out to the Smurf surf and, take on Boise State. I think that would be a great road trip. And I think Tiger fans, uh, speaking as a Tiger fan, I think Tiger fans would would be excited about making that trip. Uh, and, and I think Boise State would add a lot to the conference uh, on the football level. It does bring the level of competition up. I understand they just lost their head coach uh, to Auburn. But uh, still, Boise State is a, I feel like, a solid football program. Uh, at least they have been as of late. Uh, going back to that um, game against Oklahoma. But um, do you cover, as far as basketball, I just want to touch on it for a second. Um, of course, Penny Hardaway being at Memphis, uh, we've seen how well he can recruit. Uh, we, As Memphis fans probably haven't seen the wins that they would like to see. Uh, I know recently we changed our offense up. It's a little more uh, motion activated, uh, things of that nature a little more low post uh, presence. When you look at the basketball conference of the American uh, with the conference tournament uh, coming up in March, uh, who do you see as a sleeper team to possibly win the conference? 
uh, as a sleeper team, I would have to say, and this is going to sound a little bit crazy to some people because right now they're sitting there at two and zero in the league, and uh, I think they're uh, six and two, six and three overall. The Wichita State Shockers, and that's just because when you lose your head coach, I don't care what the situation is. Of course, uh, you know with Greg Marshall, there was a lot more to it, a lot to the background. It was more of a yeah, it's about the right sound. It was more of a soap opera behind the scenes. But when you look at a team and they lose that structure, that that anchor or captain of the ship right before the season starts, for them to be sitting where they are right now, I think is uh, pretty impressive. They would be my dark horse, my my absolute, I don't see anything. I, I would be absolutely stunned if they won the conference. Would have to be, uh, I'd say, you know what, I, for a team that would have a chance, it would stun me too lame. I would say what Ron Hunter's doing there. That would be the, they might be able to win it, but it would shock the heck out of me team. I still think, you know, Tulsa's got some good wins as of late, you know, regarding some basketball games. But what's going on in Cincinnati regarding basketball right now? They're like two and six. They lost, a, I know they lost to Tulsa at home the other night. Yeah. Uh, the coach, is, I don't know, I forgot how many years he's been there. But uh, he came from somewhere in northern Kentucky, I believe. But I'm like, this ain't the same uh, when uh, Nick Cronin and uh, Bob Huggins was coaching. I'm not used to that now. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm not used to them being two and six overall. <laughs> I thought they would basically be maybe in the top four right now in the conference. But they went away and struggling on offense and then a little bit struggling on defense. And uh, they missed good old Jerry Cumberland, I guess, too. I'm kind of surprised about Cincinnati as well, Austin. Well, yeah, you mentioned some of those names like Cumberland. You're you're missing a lot of those weapons. But, uh, you know, you you touched on John Brandon. Yeah, he's in year two now, uh, his his second full season there at the helm of the Cincinnati Bearcats. And he he came over from Northern Kentucky, which, you know, if your listeners aren't that familiar with him, I think the Tigers actually scheduled them uh, as a non-conference not too long ago. But they just jumped to D1, I want to say – Seven years ago, we're in the uh, Atlantic Sun, jumped over to the Horizon League right. when Valparaiso moved over to the Missouri Valley. They're they're kind of a they're a small program, but they're they've, they've had some uh, pretty good success. I think they went to two trips to the NCAA tournament under Brandon. Uh, what he's going to have to do at Cincinnati though is going to be a complete rebuild, and not just he's got to get players in there. He's got to change the the culture to meet his style. He grew up in the tri-state area that uh, Ohio, Kentucky, Indiana, there on the river area. But, you know, he's not like Mick Cronin, as you mentioned. He's not like a Bob Huggins. He doesn't have those guys go down there with the physicality that those guys did that Memphis fans are familiar with, especially in the Bob Huggins days, where those were some physical Cincinnati teams. I don't expect to see those from John Brandon, but, you, you know, the UC fans hope they will, but, I just don't see that being his style. I think it, it's going to be a much faster, up-tempo kind of uh, kind of team. But whatever is going on right now, it's not working. Sitting there at two and six. Yeah, that's that's very surprising, especially you know, like John said, uh, coming from Cincinnati, uh, very almost as surprising as Kentucky this year. Uh, they're just <laughs> really struggling, uh, which it doesn't bother me to see. Um, but, uh, you know, when, when you look at the, at, uh, at the American athletic conference, speaking of Mike Oresco, uh, I listened to, uh, Rick Neuheisel's, uh, uh, XM radio show a lot. And, uh, Oresco has been on there quite a bit. Uh, I really like him as the head of the American athletic conference. Uh, do you, do you see him sticking around for quite some time? You know, I do because, uh, we've seen a lot of, uh, I would say commissioner moves in the last couple of years uh, that are not that common. We've seen like uh, Jim Delaney leaving the Big Ten with uh, Kevin Warren stepping in. The ACC just got their new commissioner. Uh, it's not that common. We're just seeing a lot of turnover at the moment. Uh, with a Resco, uh, you know, he. I really wish he would have shown up about three years earlier. I think the Big East probably would have had a much better TV contract than the one it had had to end up taking before it became the American. But as far as his leadership, he's been a, an extremely subdued kind of leader. And, and by that, I mean, the I'd say the previous three years up until uh, maybe last fall, he was doing a lot of work behind the scenes. And of course, 
he was doing a TV contract. And with his uh, experience as a former VP at CBS Sports, uh, he had to, of course, be a lot more hands-on with that. So maybe that's why we didn't see him as much. But in this past, I'd say, season and a half, he's became a lot more vocal. And as he told me, he said, yeah. you know, it's because he's, he's giving, he wanted to give it a chance. He didn't want to freak out at first and, and you know, say that the, the system was broken. So he wanted to give it time. But as he's observed it, he's become more vocal. And I think that really benefits the league and all the members, including Memphis. I completely agree. Uh, and, and this year uh, with Cincinnati and just the way they were ranked and how uh, just lopsided it was, to be honest, uh, I'm, just, I'm glad that he spoke out uh, and spoke up for for not only Cincinnati this year, but he also spoke uh, very highly of Memphis last year. Um, and yeah. like I said, if you look at the uh, American Athletics Conference in uh, New Year's Six Bowls, we're what, three and three, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah. Is this right? I mean, I that's, that's, to me, right that's – Yeah, I mean, of course, Memphis was the only team to win a conference game this year – or, I'm sorry, a bowl game this year for the American. Um, okay. And what I thought was a good performance against Florida Atlantic, not think Florida Atlantic, all that great, uh, very undisciplined team. Um, when you look at the American Athletic Conference uh, on the basketball side, as far as NCAA tournament is concerned, uh, how many teams do you see uh, possibly getting into the field of Super Bowl? With this year, it's uh, you gotta, you know, on an optimistic side, and it's probably not that optimistic for uh, for the for your guys' listeners, but I would say probably you're looking at three teams this year because, for whatever reason, the league has not been getting a lot of respect. You see. You know, SMU's out there. I think SMU's pulling its weight. They're sitting there undefeated, but not getting a lot of respect. We talked about uh, Wichita State, the work that they're doing without their head coach, and of course, several transfers, and uh, Tulsa knocking off Houston just, just this past week. And, and Memphis, uh, a, a team that, you know, Penny really, he confuses me, is the, is the best way I can say it with some of these teams because they'll he come out. With everybody in Memphis. <laughs> you know, games and you're like all right this is they're about to turn the corner and we're about to see them light them light some stuff up and then a completely different team comes out the next game and you go why did i yeah. get my hopes up what's going on here <laughs> but you know if i would say on the good side we're probably looking at uh a good chance of three teams in the ncaa tournament uh because i think it's gonna be a really crowded field and a really hard year uh with all these cancellations that are inevitable it's going to be hard for these uh, committees to make choices. You know, Austin, I don't know if you follow any women's basketball at all, but uh, a lot of people in Memphis right now are not really happy with uh, Melissa, you know, especially this year, starting off so rocky, being two and six, I believe now, after yesterday lost the Tulane 80, the 44. Mm. But uh, everybody talked about this year being – you know, the year that she should make some noise, especially without UConn in the tournament or in the in the conference. And then South Florida, you know, South Florida still got a decent women's basketball team as well. But yeah. with the recruiting class that Melissa put together this year, you know, with some – and then the last year as well, everybody's kind of like, okay, where's the improvement this year with women's basketball? But, you know, I'm not saying Melissa – you know, is going to get fired after this year because, you know, Larry Beach is a new AD and it's a COVID year, but something's got to be going on. She hasn't made the tournament at all, and it's been 11 years, it feels like. Jakes, that, I'll tell you what, that is a, a rough path. I mean, if you go 11 years uh, without an appearance, I, I think, you know, I, I don't want to be the, the person here to uh, to sign a death warrant or anything, but, but I would say that, uh, that the fans – certainly deserve to uh to be frustrated especially as you mentioned with UConn being out of the conference now a lot of people viewed this as a year where hey we're going to get some uh, you know some fresh eyes we're going to get some uh some better looks at some of these other teams as they get an opportunity to shine and you mentioned USF I mean the job Jose Fernandez has done uh making the I, I always have a hard time calling them the, the Lady Bulls but turning South Florida into the the program that he has has been a great job but it's really hard 
and I'll, I'll say this in, in Melissa's defense, uh, women's basketball coaching, I, I would say, is probably more competitive than any other level or any other type of sport because you only got maybe 15 really good teams, 15 teams that are going to ever have a chance at, at winning a title uh, in the tournament once March rolls around for women's basketball. And what, that drop-off from, you know, 15 to 16 is massive. Uh, but, you know, I don't want to, I also don't want to, I don't want to sign her death warrant. I don't want to, you know, uh, defend her too much either. But I got to say, uh, it's especially tough in a year like this. And with a new AD, you know, she might just get that, uh, that extra year of eligibility, so to speak. Well, yeah, I'm just surprised by the outcome right now as of, you know, thing two and six. And especially <laughs> like this year, you know, with all the talent that she has brought in for recruiting, you know, I'm just surprised by the outcome of this year's basketball game. I know the offense is struggling, but I'm more surprised at the defense, you know, giving up a lot of points, you know, here and there. But, you know, like you said, it could, like, Larry Beach is a new AD. It's the first year under him. Um, you know, as a COVID year, she might get a pass this year. But the people that, you know, I'm 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 used to basically a Kevin McMillan after UT Martin that could come in and recruit a little bit better and then make the tournament because he made the tournament at UT Martin with Jasmine Newsom and all of them made the tournament, you know. But uh talk about Ryan Silverfield under his first season at the University of football program. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, he's my favorite coach right now in the American Athletic Conference because, as we've mentioned, awesome. he's the only one that managed to uh, record a bowl win this season. And, you know, if the league went 0-6, it would have really stung, I think, a lot worse. But thankfully, you know, Memphis recording that win over uh, FAU, that I think is a respectable team, probably gets more credits uh, than it deserves. Uh, but, I, you know, a win is a win, especially a 15.1 in a bowl game. As far as Ryan Silverfield goes, you know, it's one of those things, whenever you transition, the fans start out the season with some excitement. And if you see one, two, or in the case of Memphis, you know, three losses, it can kill some of your momentum, but it should not. Because looking at that team, I didn't see that many hiccups. I didn't see that, that many miscues or misfires compared to what you usually see when you see a, a head coach as impactful as Mike Norvell move on. When you see somebody like that, like, for example, and I'm not trying to equate Memphis or Western Michigan, but when you see somebody like PJ Fleck leave Western Michigan, the program falls apart. You know, they try, they think they might make a good hire, but, you know, even leaving some personnel behind doesn't transition that well. Something about Ryan Silverfield and this showed the moment that he was hired, in fact, it showed before he was hired, when the players began petitioning for him, he has a connection with that team that just is something special. I think it showed the entire season, you know, in the post games, he seems connected with those guys. He's, he's not one of those coaches that you'll ever see throw the team under the bus. And, you know, I'm not going to throw out any coach's name, but we've all seen the post games where uh, a loss happens and some of that coaches. Oh, yeah. He's putting the finger at every single player instead of looking in the mirror for a second. Ryan Silverfield seems like a stand-up guy who, based on this year, and again, it, you know, it's a small sample size. It's been a weird year, as you said, a COVID year. Uh, but looking at him, I'd have to give him at least, at minimum, a B-plus on this year. Yeah, I think when you look at Ryan Silverfield, and what really impressed me was multiple times this season, there were some pressure cooker situations he would he, he, he was in. And they would show him on the sideline, and he was just cool, calm, collected. You know, we're going to get through this. I just – I never really saw him <clears throat> not necessarily lose his cool, but lose his composure and, and get too into a situation and not make the correct play call or whatever. Now, there were some times that John and I both questioned the play calling this year uh, from Kevin Johns. Um, but all that being said, if you look at Ryan Silverfield in his first year. Do what, John? The and McIntyre at times, but the defense got better throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look at the 
just go back to the bowl game alone. If you look at that performance that the defense put together against Florida Atlantic, um, that was very impressed. And I think going into next season, you've got to be excited if you're a Memphis Tiger football fan for just how we performed in the bowl game, moving on, uh, closing out 2020, moving into 2021. And I completely agree. Uh, Ryan Silverfield did an amazing job this year. Uh, first head coach to ever win a bowl game, I believe, in his first season. Um, I'm really curious to know what is he like to just interact with? He, he seems like just a very down-to-earth type of guy. You know, it's 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 funny because whenever you're dealing with these guys, any coaches, you get uh you get one of two things. You get uh, uh abrasive, frustrated coach who uh, just doesn't want to talk because you know, who does in some of these situations after your adrenaline's been pumping for, you know, three and a half hours. And then also you get the uh, the coaches who are, I, I call it being handheld, where you got it, your comms guy, when you, somebody from your, one of your SIDs, from your communications department, who basically tells the coach who they're about to talk to. So a coach that I've never talked to in my entire life uh, will come say, hey, hey, Austin, I'm so glad you're here. I'm like, yeah, you never met me, man. Ryan Silverfield uh, has right. never he's never given me a disingenuous feel. It's it's a it's weird to to try to put it in the words, but he's not the kind of coach that you ever get around and you think uh, whatever's coming out of his mouth is just whatever. He's not saying what people want to hear. I think he's a genuine guy. Right. Yeah. Before COVID, after all, that one game, yeah. I can't remember which one it was. Now we got a butt kick. And I mean, that really, that really excited me as a fan because he's honest. I mean, very similar to where, the way Sam Pittman's doing it at Arkansas. He's honest with his fans. He's honest with his team. And that goes a long way, I think. Go ahead, John. Uh, awesome. Before COVID got crazy and everything like that, what road trips – did you actually get to go on to cover the AAC for the football? Oh man, um, let's see. My basic I, every opportunity I got for uh, Dallas, I would take to uh, Dallas and Houston, uh, just because I lived in DFW for a couple of years. And uh, when I first started covering the AAC, I was living in Dallas, so I would take every Cincinnati opportunity <laughs> I could get. Uh, the most special one. I would say would have been uh, or it was uh, Navy's uh, Navy Marine Corps uh, Memorial Stadium, which has the. <laughs> and I'm not. I know you. You have several uh, listeners down there in Memphis who are Navy veterans that follow me. So if you guys are listening, I'm not making fun of Navy's press box, but it is the worst press box that I've ever been in. It's a uh, wow. I think it was built in like the '60s, and they just really haven't updated the press box, but. The stadium itself is a place where if you get the opportunity, gentlemen, I, I highly recommend this. Uh, get there early in the morning if you ever get to cover a game and walk around that stadium uh, just by yourself and look at the, the names that are on the walls, the awards, the history. That's probably the, the best stadium in the American that I've gotten to sit down and just, you know, experience, ironically, with the worst press box. <laughs> You didn't get to come to Memphis, did you, that one year? I Actually, I, I went to Memphis uh, for the first time I ever covered Memphis was Black Friday, uh, the Houston game, where I was down there in the tunnel with Tom Herman when he was saying, no, I never talked to Texas. I haven't been talking to anybody. And that was right before the game. And then, yeah, of course, everybody knows the, the history after that. He went to Texas. But, yeah, that was a – I had a ball down there. Uh, but, Black Friday, let me tell you, I arrived there on Thanksgiving and nothing was open. That was the only negative I can say about Memphis. Yeah, you didn't get to have any uh, rendezvous barbecue or central barbecue or anything like that, did you? <laughs> you know what? I, I don't know what they had in the press box, but I will say this. Is rendezvous. That is the best press box food in the American Athletic Conference. They had uh, donuts from a place called Gibson's. And yeah. Oh man, there was this. Yep. I, I don't eat a lot of sweets, but I used to, but I don't anymore. I had this uh, maple bacon. It was like there was pecans or something. It, I still remember it, gentlemen. That's how good the donuts were in the press box at Memphis. 
Well, next time you come to Memphis, you know, rendezvous and stuff, the barbecues on the list. <laughs> Will do. Uh, awesome. Real quick, these are my last two questions for you, or uh, three last questions. My first one is, you know, regarding Tom Herman, you just brought Tom Herman up, but are you surprised the way that Texas handled that situation by firing the guy and then hiring the guy, another guy? And then I know there's probably a lot of things behind the scenes, but last month, the president and AD came out with a statement and said, oh, Tom Herman's our guy going forward, you know, or at least for next year, at least. But are you surprised the way that Texas handled this? Uh, I'm surprised just like everybody else, but at the same time, Texas is another world. They Texas and the Texas Longhorns operate in a whole another universe than compared to uh, Cincinnati or Memphis or even to you know your Illinois or, or some of your regular Big Ten schools. You know Texas operates a world where they can drop. I, I believe it came in somewhere in the field of twenty five million just to fire Herman. You have fifteen million in guaranteed for Herman. 10 million guaranteed for his assistance. Then you got to hire Steve Sarkeesian. You got to handle his assistance coaching salaries, moving, you know, that we're talking upwards of, you know, $40 million for a single coaching change. And that's just something, especially in an environment like this. We keep mentioning COVID. You know, we live in a world right now where schools are cutting athletics left and right just so that they can maintain. The, the athletics like, you know, football or men's basketball that bring in some revenue. And we've got Texas out here dropping $40 million like it's nothing for a coaching change. It, it's yeah. a, a crazy world when it comes to some That's of these things. Especially how many layoffs Texas actually did in their athletic department this year in general yeah. regarding layoffs and furloughs and, you know, in general. I'm just surprised that Texas actually pulled the trigger you know, yesterday. That's why I'm bringing Tom Herman up. Um, who is your Heisman Trophy winner, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, uh, you know what? I'm, I, I would have said uh, Lawrence, honestly, just on default. Um, but I guess it, it, I, I'm torn right now because I can't say Justin Fields, regardless of his performance uh, yesterday, day before, I can't say uh, him because I'm a a stickler for fairness. I, I believe that, you know, Ohio State did not play enough games to be one in the, you know, in the championship game or two have its players in contention for these other awards where others had to play sometime well over double the amount of games. It's, it's uh, tough to call. I mean, you know what? I, I, I would just say you know, Dylan Gabriel, if I get to say anything, I was just saying AAC. <laughs> Or no, you know, I'll say Brady White. I'll go ahead and say the record holder for Memphis now. Well, the finalists, you know, with the Heisman Trophy winner, you know, the quarterback from Alabama, the receiver from Alabama, and then Trevor Lawrence, and then Kyle Trask. But uh, yeah. those are your final four. But out of those four, who do you got? Uh, yeah, the Trask. Maybe an eyeball. How about you guys? I got Smith, you know, the wide receiver from Alabama, number one. I got uh, Alabama quarterback, number two. And I got Trevor Lawrence, number three. And contrast going forward just because I know Florida had all those players optioned out. But yeah. that I know a lot of people are going to be saying, well, the Cotton Bowl appearance was the biggest disappointment in Kyle Trask. But, you know, that's the reason I probably got him fourth just because that's what they're going to be looking at, how all these players – optioned out on Kyle Trask at the last week, you know, yeah. at the last minute. Well, and then you also get the excuse, and, and you gentlemen can never forget this. He plays for an SEC team, and that wasn't the national championship, so they did not want to be there. So you can't hold that against Kyle. Right. That's true. Uh, I think if you look, uh, I think you got to give it to Devontae Smith. Uh, like I said on the show yesterday, I've said before, uh, with the wide receiver wide position as you're very familiar with uh there's multiple variables of whether he even gets the ball thrown to uh so for Devontae to do what he's done this season um in that offense and just how powerful it is uh yes you got to give the guy throwing the ball to him as much credit as him uh in Mac Jones but Devontae Smith I think is the batter of the country 
Uh, I would put his quarterback, Matt Jones, third. Uh, I would do Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I'm sorry, Matt Jones, second, Trevor Lawrence, third, and then Kyle Trask, fourth. But I think that Kyle Trask and Trevor Lawrence are almost interchangeable on that list um, because you can't take anything from Kyle Trask. The guy had an absolute amazing season in Florida. Uh, and that was with guys getting injured uh, throughout the season as well. It's, it's been a crazy year. I think, like, as we've mentioned, you know, repeatedly uh, on the, today's uh, program is that, you know, it's COVID. It's been a COVID year. It's been a weird one. Um, and you know what? I, I'm not going to lie. I think it might have you might have swayed me here a little bit just because for a wide receiver to even get the stats to, to be in consideration, you might have swayed me towards Smith because and the reason I'm going to put Smith ahead of Jones now is because I believe Smith was a big enough target that it gave Jones something to throw to. We don't really see that very often at Alabama, to be honest. Yeah, especially right. with that's, that's a lot getting. Yeah. Yeah, this is Waddle getting hurt in the Tennessee game, but I uh, yeah. stepped up big for Smith this year in general. But uh, the third question I have for you is, like, with all these coaching new hires, like, for example, Terry Bowden went to Louisiana Monroe and uh, Brian Hartzell left for Auburn, like, who's your biggest coaching change out there that could basically maybe make the biggest impact on their new team next year? Like, for example, I, I don't want to uh, – so Will Clark out there because he you know turned down the interview at UA, uh, from UAB to go to Auburn, but I see Will I do see Will Clark and Seth Luttrell at North Texas. I know North Texas had a down year in general, but I do see those two coaches in the Conference USA, you know, in the near future maybe taking a bigger jump. Like Graham Harrell did at Southern Cal now, being their offense coordinator that led North Texas. But who do you see their biggest coaching change that happened this year up to date right now? that could make a big impact going into next season. Uh, you know, surprisingly, I've got to go with Harson for the biggest impact that has happened this season that will impact next year because, you know, you're not just talking about uh, the impact that have on Auburn, <coughs> but the residual effects that it's going to have radiating through all of college football because we saw that fall off at Boise State when Chris Peterson went to, the, went to uh, Washington. And, of course, they had that, you know, handoff to, to Harson, who had the experience there as an OC. But I do believe now with him going to Auburn, you're going to see a vacuum of sorts there in the Mountain West. Uh, so I think that's the biggest impact overall. I do not, however, see Harson uh, doing that much at, uh, at Auburn. I just I don't see him having the kind of success that Peterson's had at Washington, for example. Uh, but it does remind me, of course, like we were just talking about Texas, how Auburn's able to make these huge multi-million dollar, tens of millions of dollar buyouts and hire new coaches here in the middle of this COVID 2020 situation while some of these other schools have to do so much more with so much less. It's a, it's a crazy situation to think about. Do you see Blake Anderson succeeding at Utah State? I see, you know, yeah. as a Memphis fan, I'm, you know, with Memphis to Jonesboro being so close, I do see some Arkansas State, you know, games here and there because, you know, I cover high school football here locally and they recruited pretty well. I see Blake Anderson. Me personally, I think he can make some interesting stuff going on in Utah State. I really do. Oh, absolutely. He's got the kind of personality, too, that, uh, you know, I, I think he can succeed wherever he's at. And I think he's been smart because he's had those opportunities, much like Seth Luttrell a couple of years ago where he was one of the hottest names in football before he decided to stay in North Texas, which – you know, I don't know if that was the best choice. Now people will ask, was it Graham Harrell there as the OC that might have been uh, given Seth the trail that success? But, you know, looking at Blake Anderson, I think he was smart to, to wait. You know, he had a lot of opportunities. He could have taken one of those, quote unquote, P5 jobs where, uh, you know, you get that paycheck for a year or two, but then the pressure starts to heat up at a school that can't win to begin with. You know, going to a Utah State where somebody like Matt Wells, who's now at Texas Tech, had a great amount of success at, at Utah State. I think it could be a really good fit. I just don't know if it's the kind of place that a coach can make waves at, especially as, and I'm, I'm not trying to run down the Mountain West, but as its exposure diminishes, it's going to be harder for coaches to make big waves out of that league. 
Yeah, especially the way I know San Jose State got their new um, yeah, San Jose go ahead, Russ, I'm sorry. I was gonna oh, say San Jose State. Um, I was gonna say I was gonna say San Jose was, State uh, let go their OC. It's kind of surprising with yeah. San Jose State, yeah. the way that's, they that's, showed up in the bowl game. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the San Jose State is one of those. Oh, yeah. I was shifting over to uh, uh, CFB now, which is going to be the new program for 2021. And I, I've been watching more of these other programs, of course. And when you saw San Jose State and saw that record, you know, even though it's the Mountain West, there's that part of me that says, hey, the American deserves respect. If they win the games they play, show them some respect. So, of course, I was, you know, parroting that and saying the exact same thing for San Jose State. And, you know, I don't know who showed up for that Ball State game, but uh, the Cardinals did, the Spartans did not, and it really hurt the image of the Mountain West. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, when you look at the head coaches, uh, obviously we've seen some dominoes fall already. Uh, do you have any idea of a domino that might fall that we're not seeing right now or we're not thinking about? You know, I, I have to imagine there's going to be quite a few. We look at, uh, you know, just last year, uh, the biggest surprise, I think, for all of us was Mark D'Antonio, I believe the day after uh, National Signing Day, just says, hey, you know what, guys, I got to go. Of course, we, we know there was a whole bunch of NCAA situations surrounding that, but it was still a big surprise. Uh, I do expect some some surprises this offseason, especially as you look around the sport and you see some of these coaches, they're getting up there. And with COVID going on, you might have a lot of these people maybe making decisions where they want to spend more time with family and we could see some changes there. I mean, a lot can happen between now and August. So do you see, I know we're going to say really NFL right. topic. But do you see Urban Meyer coming out of retirement going to Jacksonville? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I hope he doesn't. I, I've, I've been hearing that. I would like to see Urban Meyer. Honestly, uh, my hope was to see Urban Meyer end up at Texas. Uh, it would have annoyed the heck out of me. I would have started to root for him to, to win a national championship there just to see if, you know, he's got that Midas touch and he can, if he could do it at Florida after all those years of, uh, of you know, fallen further and further and then he could go to Ohio State and immediately resurrect them he is of course the reason that Utah is in the Pac-12 you know I would have liked to seen if, if he yeah. could pull it off with another blue blood in college football as for the NFL you know I, I don't understand uh the attractiveness of, the, of those jobs outside of that big paycheck because it is a huge step up in many cases and you do not have to recruit which is something a lot of these coaches get very tired of but uh, Urban Meyer, I would hope right. he would stay out. Of course, you know, if he went there, it, it could be interesting. But we've seen with uh, Bobby Petrino and Nick Saban, I mean, uh, Pete Carroll to a smaller extent, it doesn't always translate to the NFL. Yeah, I think Steve Spurrier learned real quick right, yeah. NFL is not easy. Yeah. Have you heard uh, anything also about saw, Speaking of that, I also saw yeah. where uh, Ryan Day – was option B if Urban does not come. That's surprising to me. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what you got to worry about now is you have to hope that it's not Ryan Day if you're a Cincinnati Bearcats fan because there are people who certainly uh, would want Luke Fickle, now that he's gotten a little bit more experience under his belt, to, to maybe get that shot. And it feels like uh, as loyal as Luke Fickle is to the state of Ohio, that might be the one job that he would be uh, guaranteed to take were he given the opportunity. But, you know, outside of that, I, I see Luke Fickle staying put. So I'm kind of hoping Ryan Day does too. Have you heard anything what's the latest on the Boise State opening? Like, I know there's killing more out there with the offense coordinator with the Cowboys. And what's the latest on that? Well, they, uh, they did just hire their new AD yesterday, and so they, they got that hammered out. And as you mentioned, they got the head coach situation to, reply, to uh, replace Brian Harson, and they did go after Kellen Moore, who's been having an abundance of success on the coaching side after transitioning from being a backup in the NFL, uh, doing a great job with Dallas Cowboys. But 
it looks like he has opted to stay in Dallas there on the coaching staff because, I mean, I I guess Jerry Jones, it goes without saying, has a lot more money than the uh, Boise State administration. Yeah. Dog, I was hoping I'd see Tony Robo run this offense. And, uh, the Cowboys <laughs> being a Tony Potter fan, but, you know. <laughs> but uh, what's the maybe top five road trips that you might want to look forward to since you're going to be covering a little bit more college football in this upcoming season? Uh, top five road trips. Uh, one will actually be an AAC game. I'm going to be doing uh, Cincinnati at Notre Dame. It's going to be my first trip uh, to South Bend. Uh, the only trip that I previously did for uh, the state of Indiana was at uh, the Indiana Hoosiers, and it was not that exciting. Uh, my wife actually had did a, done a game at Notre Dame a couple of years back, and she said, you got to go do it. You got to go do Notre Dame whenever you get the opportunity. So I'm looking forward to, to that this year. Um, I'm also looking forward to uh, pretty much anything. It's, it's anytime you get to see something new and hit new places. And I know that's uh, pretty much going to be a lot of new in 2021. I'm kind of excited about all of it. But uh, I have to say top five off the top of my head, uh, the Rose Bowl uh, for covering the Pac-12, um, which, thank goodness, it's got a cool stadium because I'm sure the game won't be that exciting. Uh, Notre Dame at number one, uh, Rose Bowl at number two. And uh, then I'm going to have to round out the rest of the top five, anything in Florida or Texas, because – it's cold right now, and all I can think about is that. <laughs> yeah, very true, very true. Uh, we just want to say thank you very much for giving us uh, roughly an hour of your time uh, to just pick your brain, talk a little sports with you. Uh, I know uh, for myself, I thoroughly enjoyed having you on today, and we would like to have you back on uh, at a later point in time if, uh, if everything works out. Gentlemen, my pleasure, and, uh, you know, Thanks again for reaching out. Thanks for having me on. Happy New Year to you both and to your audience and everybody there in Memphis, man. Always great talking about the Tigers. Appreciate it, Austin. Take care. Thank you guys for watching. Thank you, everybody, on Facebook, YouTube, and our iHeartRadio listeners.